Well, you can keep your Bibles open to uh, Mark chapter 12. That's our text. And there's three sections. And many of you, if you were here last week, you may be thinking, what in the world didn't you just preach on this? Well, I did, sort of. Um, often what happens is I feel like God wanted to say more than, than I was able to say in the, in, in the time we had together. And I felt like God wanted me to just stop and come back, circle the wagons back again this week and, and jump back in. And as I was looking back on that message, I want to recap for you, for those of you that weren't here, and just to, it's been six days, we tend to forget everything we've heard within, you know, 90 minutes or whatever the statistic is. So I'm not going to re-preach the sermon that I preached last week, but I do want to revisit and summarize those points. I feel like I was weak. Uh, a strong point in the Bible, when you make it weekly, it, it, W-E-A-K, weekly, um, I feel like I want to strengthen those points up. So we're going to do a quick summary, and then we're going to jump into the last point and spend the majority of our time there. Um, but just to introduce, uh, introduce our topic this morning, this is a, an article I read about a couple this happened two years ago in California. And this is how the article starts out. It's a news article. For Valentine's Day, Steve and Karen Porth both got something they really wanted. The chance to see their dream house burn to the ground. They stood serenely on the front lawn of the rolling five-acre spread in Forest Hill, California, and watched the flames devour their three-bedroom ranch-style home, destroying family photos, stuffed animals, even their son's baby book. It was a relief, said Karen, 34 years old, about the fire that the couple arranged. That house almost killed our child. The enemy that invaded their home and prompted the burning was the presence of something called stachybotrys. You know it as black mold. It's a toxic fungus and it can mess you up severely. The Porth's mold encounter was a nightmare. They believe it was responsible for their oldest son's developmental disorder and a host of other health problems in their home. Just one month after moving in, Karen noticed... After giving birth to their son, Mitchell, she noticed after he was declared healthy that two days after he was brought home, he became violently ill. She said he began to thrash violently in his crib as if he was in pain. Then he developed a severe rash, constant infections, and high fever, which baffled everyone, including doctors. Gaunt and dehydrated, Mitchell wouldn't crawl or smile and he vomited up to 70 times a day. When the Porths, who developed respiratory infections themselves, noticed that Mitchell slept more soundly at his grandmother's house, they had their house tested for contaminants. Two weeks later, they learned there were high levels of stachybotrys, black mold in the house, including and especially in Mitchell's bedroom. After that, says Karen, we never went back. And in that fire, $90,000 was lost, including the $7,000 that it took to arrange the burn with the fire department. And that was not covered in their insurance. They lost their home. They lost their dream. They lost their health. They nearly lost their life to mold, something that can be good in some cases, penicillin and cheese, <laughs> but in other cases can be extremely toxic and deadly. And mold, you, you guys know this, you're Floridians. Hurricane season is upon us, right? Mold needs three things to grow. And you're thinking, why in the world is he talking about mold? I didn't come to church to hear about mold. Well, listen, there are parallels between the toxicity and the danger of mold to our physical health 
and the toxicity of uh, an abusive, hypocritical, Jesus-less religion, like the one Christ encountered, the one we're reading about here. See, mold needs three things to grow. It needs moisture, it needs time, and it needs one other thing. (laughs) It needs moisture. Um, What else is it? Yeah, that. Uh, Darkness, right? It needs to be covered up. It needs to be... uh, it, it thrives in moisture and in darkness and not being noticed, right? In fact, experts have said this, Stachybotrys, by the time you do see it, it's too late. It's already wreaked havoc. And I, I just see so many parallels to toxic religion. You know, the, they lived in that house. I, I don't know how, many, how long that baby suffered there, but they knew something wasn't quite right. You ever felt that way? You know, something's just wrong here. I get this gut instinct this is an unhealthy environment to be in. I cannot tell you how many people that I've talked to since the five years that we've planted this church, and they've said the same thing, and then it came out later. They were in a very abusive, dangerous, toxic environment in their church, or their religion, or their denomination, whatever it was. It was extremely toxic. And yet they, 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 they tried to be in that environment and thrive and grow and be healthy, and they just couldn't. They couldn't do it. They were all sick spiritually. They couldn't grow. There was no joy. I was reading early this morning. In fact, let me, let me read it now. I was trying to compare in my mind and contrast, actually. When Jesus came on the scene to Israel, one of the things he came to do, 1 John, I'm, I'm reading through 1 John right now in the mornings, and one of the things that says that Jesus came to do, he appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Do you know one of the, one of the trickiest works that the devil does is, is, is he, he creates these false toxic religions where people are just crushed. There's no joy, there's no growth, there's no thriving, there's no sanctification, there's no health spiritually. That's what Satan does. He is the the founder and the father of all false religions. And he loves legalism. He loves to crush people with burdens and with laws and, and extract grace from the whole atmosphere. He loves to do that. And Jesus came to expose that. I was reading the description of the early church after Jesus had been resurrected, Peter preached his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were converted and the church was birthed into existence. And here's, I just want to read this description of the early church, okay? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all, A-W-E, came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you hear that description? Wouldn't you want to be a part of a church like that? They're devoting themselves to to. The apostles teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, prayers, they're worshiping together, they're praising God, they're sacrificial, they're radically generous. People on the outside are taking notice. What in the world's going in, going on in there? We'd want to be a part of that. There's an attractive lifestyle. And you contrast that with, with what was present in the day of Jesus. Jesus came, he saw the crowds on a hillside. And the Bible says he was moved with compassion. We talked about this just a little bit last week. He was moved with compassion, which means your pain and my heart. He was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes because the Bible says in Matthew 9, 
he saw them scattered as sheep without a shepherd, and they were harassed and they were helpless. Now contrast those two things. Scattered sheep, harassed. If, If there's harassment, there has to be both a victim and a perpetrator. Do you know who was harassing the people? Their leaders were. Now how messed up is that? The people that you've entrusted your soul and your spiritual growth to. The people that are the gatekeepers, that teach you the word of God, that represent Jesus, that counsel you, that teach you, and they're introducing black mold into your soul. They're harassing you. You're helpless. They're laying burdens on you that you can't carry. They're misrepresenting the kingdom. They're barring up the entrance to the kingdom. That was what Jesus discovered when he came there, and he came to destroy that, and he did. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't painless. It cost him his life. And this this section here is amazing because this is the very last time Jesus ever addressed the leaders. He was done after this. This was it. This was the last straw. He'd been confronting them over and over throughout the whole tenure of his life. They were proud, calloused, hard-hearted, unrepentant, and so Jesus is done with them. He's finished. He's exposed them. He says they're blind leaders. They're blind, leading the blind, and if you follow them, you're both going to end up in a ditch dead crushed under this abusive system that you've been a part of. In fact, at one point, Jesus says, leave them alone. Get away from them. That's what you, it's like the poor family. You know what they did? They realized, uh, the article was astonishing about the mode because they said, we tried. We bringed expert, we brought, <laughs> bringed. <laughs> we brought experts in. They did everything. They sprayed bleach. They tore sheetrock off. They could not get rid of it. It was so pervasive. The house was riddled with it. The only thing they could do was light it on fire and stand in the yard and cry. And Jesus is coming not to, not to fix this system, not to fix it. They weren't following the Old Testament. By the way, I just want to make that distinction. I'm not at all impugning the Old Testament. These spiritual re- leaders, if they would have followed what the Old Testament was directing them to, they would have ended up at Christ, but they didn't. It wasn't the Old Testament's fault, it was their fault. And Jesus came and he said, just get away from them. This whole thing is going to crash and burn. I'm the king, I'm the shepherd you've always needed and wanted. So this is Jesus exposing this toxic religion, and it's toxic for one reason, its leaders were toxic. And he's done. And man, I just, this just, just lights me on fire when I'm reading this. I want to be this kind of shepherd to you. I do. And, and I know sometimes our teaching goes, goes further than the walls of this church. So if somebody you know, you feel like they're trapped in this toxic And I hate to say this because people are so hard on the church today. They want the church to be the Messiah. The church is not the Messiah. Jesus is. But if the church isn't pointing to him, there's something very wrong. This ought to be the most joyful, freeing, liberating place in the world. The church ought to be. And so often it's the worst place in the the world. It crushes people. It abuses people. It abuses its, its authority. And the people that are the most vulnerable, already marginalized, already weak, It exploits them and abuses them. That's terrible. And Jesus came on the scene and said, enough, enough. He called them out. That's why if you look at verse, I could preach a whole sermon on this alone. Look at verse 37. After this first encounter that Jesus has, it says, the great throng of people heard him gladly. Now, what's Jesus doing? He's pulling the rug out from under these leaders. He's exposing them for the, for the greedy, proud, hypocritical, callous leaders they are. And all the, the normal people that are standing by that have been under their authority for who knows how many decades, they're loving it. It says they heard Jesus gladly. Their hearts are, are like elevated. They're like, finally, what's, what's the deal? Well, all the people that you talk to that have been in a toxic 
spiritually toxic religion, when, when it's finally exposed, man, they're happy because all along they knew something wasn't quite right. They couldn't put their finger on it. They just knew something's not right here. Like if you're in a house with mold in it, you know something's not right. You know, it's not until, it's not until much later that you found out exactly what wasn't right, <laughs> you know? But long, this is the point they're at when Jesus came. He said, hey, look around. You see all this stuff? You've got to get out of this. This is going to kill you. And that's why they heard him gladly. They were th- isn't, isn't there something refreshing? You've seen all the YouTube videos that I have. When a bully, when somebody finally stands up to a bully, you just want to stand up and shout, don't you? That's what Jesus, these guys were untouchables. They were, they were invincible. In fact, I was reading another part earlier in Mark's gospel. Jesus is talking about sin. Corruption is on the inside. It's not outside of you. It's inside of you. That's why the Bible says things like you have to be born again. You don't just need a tweak or an adjustment or turn over a new leaf or some resolutions. No, you need to be created. You need a new heart. And Jesus is teaching and his disciples come to him and they're like, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you said? I mean, the disciples were, they're like, Jesus, dude, calm down. All these religious experts, they're offended by what you're saying. So it can't be right. Do you know what Jesus said? Do you remember? He said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. Get away from them. They're the blind leading the blind. That, had, that blew the... Nobody had ever, ever said that before. I mean, these people, they thought held the keys to the kingdom. They intimidated people. They bullied people. You may remember the, the man who was born blind. You remember this? In, in John chapter 9. He was born blind. Jesus came, spit in the earth, made clay, put it on his eyes, sent him to the pool of Siloam, and he came back and he washed and he could see again. And everyone was blown away. And the Pharisees were angry because Jesus did it. And you remember what they asked him? They're like, hey, who did this? And he's like, I don't know. This guy, he's a prophet. I don't know who he is. You ask him. And they were so angry and they called the blind man's parents. And they said, hey, who do you say that this guy is that did this? And there's this parenthetical statement and it says now his, the man's parents were afraid. They were intimidated. And so they said, our son's old enough, ask him. (laughs) You see how corrupt and abusive the system was? And it says in parentheses, for the Pharisees had threatened that anyone who confessed Jesus would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents were afraid to say anything. Now, what kind of system is that? When you're not even interested in the truth, you're threatening people, you're bullying people, you're shoving the spiritual weight around that you think you have. And Jesus has had enough. He's had enough. He's done. So this is the last conversation that he ever has. They've been asking Jesus question after question. You remember? He's in the temple. He's preaching. He's teaching. All these different groups of religious leaders come up to him, accosting him with these questions that they think is going to impale him on the horns of a dilemma. They think they're going to trap him. And, and he blows him out of water. He answers all their questions to the extent that it says, look here, in verse 34, and after that, No one dared to ask him any more questions. See, they were done asking Jesus questions. He made a fool out of all of them. But he's just getting started, see. They're done. He's not. He's just getting started. He says, you know, you're done with your questions, but I have a question for you. I want to ask you a question about the Old Testament. Now, you guys are the scribes, and and that meant an expert in the Old Testament law. They had all the answers, right? He says, I just want to ask you something, because we're all talking about this promised Messiah, this, this... 
this Davidic king that's going to come onto the scene and, and deliver everybody. I want to ask you a question about his identity. So that's the first point that I want to strengthen that I just touched on last week. He says, how can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So here's what Jesus uh, is doing. And by the way, just to reiterate something that Melissa said earlier, this group that she mentioned, Restored, is a support group for women, okay, who have suffered any, any kind of abuse, whether it's domestic, whether it's religious or spiritual. And it, it, using the comparison of the black mold, it takes a long time sometimes for people to overcome that, and they need help. And if that's you or somebody you know, please reach out to Melissa after this service and, and, and follow up with the information you, st- uh, you need to get plugged into this group. I'm so thankful for this, and I'm a huge advocate uh, of it. So there's, there's three things. When the experts come in to try and find the black fungus, the black mold, right? What are they looking for? And, 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 and how do you know that you're in a toxic religion? Three points. Toxic religion always does three things. It diminishes the work of Jesus. It abuses its authority. And it ignores the marginalized. And I'm just going to jump really quick through these first two points and strengthen them a little bit. It diminishes the work of Jesus. Any kind of toxic religion will always do that. Always do that. When Jesus asked them, Who do you, what do you think about this Messiah? Whose son is he? Because Psalm 110 has this really powerful part that, that says, The Lord said to my Lord. And the language used there, as I told you last week, is divine. It's Yahweh said to my Adonai. Both are Old Testament Hebrew words for God. So the Pharisees and the scribes taught that when the, when the Messiah comes, he'll be this amazing human being. He'll be a mortal. He'll be a creature, but he'll be a descendant of David. He'll be one of David's sons. And Jesus says, oh, is is that so? Well, I agree with you, but is that all he'll be? You're just saying when when the deliverer comes, when the Messiah comes, he'll just be a superhuman. He'll just be a great, one of the best kings, one of the best prophets, one of the best king, uh, a priest. He'll be a good leader. He'll vanquish all the enemies. That's, That's what they believed, but that's all they believed. Say they diminish who Jesus really was. He was God. In human flesh. And they're asking, how in the world can David say to his son, Lord? How can you call your son your Lord? Especially if you're David, the greatest king that ever lived in Israel, right? And they can't answer him. Because Jesus is basically saying, so you're saying that, David, that, that the Messiah will be David's son, but that's all he'll be? Won't he also be God's son? They wouldn't answer him. Because that's what toxic religion does. It has to diminish Jesus. And here's why. And I want you to hear me. I didn't get to say this last week. This is why toxic and false religion and and toxic churches always diminish the identity and the work of Jesus. Because when you do that, you also diminish your problem. Your problem. Because see, they thought that the son of David would come and would deliver them. Deliver them from who? From Rome. From Rome. From the Romans. Because see, all of our troubles are outside of us, right? It's just this, this circumstance. If I just had a different leader who was elected, if, if congressman so-and-so and senator so-and-so and president so-and-so, if we could just replace them, everything would be better, right? See, it's, 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 it's my home. It's, it's my spouse. It's my kids. It's my parents. And I'm not diminishing those things. Some of those things are awful, terrible, toxic. 
But Jesus is saying, if you think you just need another leader to come and help you turn over a new leaf and get rid of the Philistines like David did, you don't understand the true nature of your problem. Your, tr- your worst enemy is not outside of you, it's inside of you. And you don't need just a little tweaking and a little moral adjustment. You need to be born again. Do you understand the difference, guys? Any kind of religion that just focuses on your worst problems being outside of you is toxic and misleading. And that's the only thing that these leaders had led Israel to believe, that when the true Messiah comes, he'll deliver us from all these problems out there. Jesus shows up and said, no, your greatest problem is in here. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to you. When you diminish the identity and the mission of Jesus, you minimize and diminish your real problem, which is we have a corrupt and a dead heart. The Bible says we have all fallen short. All of us have, without question. No one seeks God. There are none righteous. We can't just pick ourselves up and put ourselves back together. We can't do that. We've tried that. How's that worked for you? How has that worked for you in the past? You know, I just need a little pick-me-up. I just need more time. No, you don't. You need a brand new heart. That's what you need. And anything less than that is, is deception. Jesus came to remind them of that. Toxic religion diminishes the identity of Jesus and in doing so diminishes our true problem. Because listen, what if David did show up, reincarnated? Did David ever walk on water? You guys know the life of David. He was an amazing king, amazing leader. Did he ever walk on water? <laughs> did he ever cast out any demons? I don't think so. I think he had his own demons, didn't he? Have you read the life of David? (laughs) He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was an idolater. Some theologians claim that David, when he sinned against uh, Uriah and committed adultery on his wife and and sinned with Bathsheba, that he broke every one of the Ten Commandments in one shape, form, or, or another. No, David himself needed a Messiah, didn't he? He didn't walk on water. He didn't cast out demons. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. And he certainly never forgave anybody their sins. And he didn't die on the cross either. David did not and could not and would not have done any of those things. Jesus is reminding them, look, you just think you need another David? That ain't going to help you. (laughs) You need a new heart. And David can't help you with that. But I can if you would accept me. And they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And they were keeping the people from understanding Jesus' true mission, his true identity. And that's toxic. In fact, just again to remind you, if you haven't yet, at some point this weekend, you need to turn over to Matthew and read the entire 23rd chapter. Because Mark gives you the condensed version of what Jesus says. Mark gives you like three verses. Matthew gives you 36 where Jesus really goes into great lengths to describe how toxic and damning and dangerous that the religious leaders who were in charge in that day were. He, it's the seven woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You're full of dead. You clean the outside and the inside's full of dead men's bones. You cross land and sea to make one convert and you turn them into twice the son of hell that you are. He says you, you, you shut up the kingdom of God and if anyone does get in, you, you, you bind them with heavy burdens and won't lift one finger to help them. I mean, he is, he is like exposing them. That's why two days, two days later, he's on a cross. Jesus knew exactly what exposing these toxic, religious, abusive leaders would lead to. Him being nailed to a cross outside the city. But he loved us that much. He was willing to do that. He knew exactly. That was, that was part of God's plan all along. 
And that's why Jesus, you know, the, the, the word that we focus on here is verse 38. Look what he says. And in his teaching, he said, beware, beware of the scribes. And I told you last week, that's a word, it's connected to seeing. And it literally means to turn away, look away. That's another 80s song, isn't it? Look away, <laughs> look away from the religious leaders. Don't give them any credence. Get out. Get out while you can. The black mold is growing and it's going to destroy you. You've got to get out. This thing's going to collapse. Isn't that what Jesus says the very next chapter? Not one stone. You see this temple where all this amazing teaching has taken place, all this abuse? He says, you better get out while you can because not one stone is going to be left on another by the time I'm finished. The whole context of this is judgment. Judgment on the abusive system that was crushing people. Pretty amazing. So, um, that's point one. False, toxic religions always diminish, always diminish who Jesus is. And you know, Jesus is serving notice here. He's like, look, you need to make up your mind. I'm not here to be a nice little, you know, new leader for you. When he's quoting Psalm 110, it says some amazing things. It calls him Adonai. It says he's the eternal priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's eternal. That means I've always, you're Messiah when he shows up. He's not a creature. That's what toxic and false religions tell you. Jesus is something less than he really is. He's an angel or, you know, he's the brother of Lucifer. or He's just this, you know, amazing superhuman leader. No, he's not. He's God. He's divine. And Jesus is saying, you can either follow me or you can kill me, turn away from me. You've got to make up your mind. You know, I'm not here to just be your nice little leader. He's like, you've got to make up your mind. Am I a lunatic or am I, am I the Lord? It's time to quit playing around here. He's serving them notice. And I love that. He says, I'm not the Messiah you may want, but I'm the Messiah you need. Now make up your mind. And I love that. The decisive call of Jesus. Toxic religion is, is always wrong about Jesus. He's always so much more than we thought he was. And don't you see that? When you're reading the Gospels, aren't you gripped? Every single encounter that Jesus has with people, they are left thunderstruck, struck out of their mind. You know, he stills a storm with a word. And they say, what manner of man is this? Don't you love that story? It says they were afraid of the storm. And when Jesus stilled the storm, they were greatly afraid. Megaphobia is what it says in Greek. They're like, man, we thought we knew who this was. We had no clue. This is God in the boat with us. False religion always tries to diminish who Jesus is, how powerful he is, and what his mission was that he came to accomplish. So that's point one that I was trying to make last week. Point two, really fast. Toxic religion always abuses its authority. If mold requires darkness and moisture and time to thrive and grow and take over its host, what does a toxic religion need? Well, it needs a few things, right? Number one, it needs time. It needs time to work. Number two, it needs authority. The leaders in a toxic religion, you've got to give them authority so they can wreak havoc. So time, authority, and victims. That's what toxic religion needs, and boy, do they have it. And Jesus is calling them out. Look at this. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast. Now, if you were just reading this, you would think, really? Beware of them? They don't sound so scary. They sound like, bless their hearts, they really think they're important, but they're not. 
you know, it's kind of cute and sad, but why, why are you saying they're so dangerous? Well, don't stop there. Read the next part here. Who devour widows' houses. Oh, oh, well, that's a whole new level of danger, isn't it? You know that word devour there? I probably don't need to tell you English is actually helpful here. You know what devour means? It means to absolutely consume and destroy something. And that's what the, I mean, we, we are so familiar with stories like this. It's good to just hit the pause button and sit back for a minute. These leaders that claim to have authority from God and to be appointed by God and to represent God, they were appointed to protect people, to shepherd people, to help people. And what were they doing? They were destroying the most vulnerable and weak and marginalized people in society and in culture. And I will tell you this, churches that are toxic have continued to do that throughout the decades. Read the history of the church and you will see that. It's very sad and it's very sobering. But those spiritual leaders who should have been the shepherds were harassing the people, were devouring the people. And the most vulnerable people that needed their help and their protection the most were being destroyed and devoured by them. Man, how messed up is that? And Jesus is saying, enough. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. They devour widows' houses. And as if that's not bad enough, and for a pretense, they make long prayers. In other words, they seem in public to be so pious that you would never think they would abuse a widow. You know what the Bible actually says, the New Testament? It's, it makes this audacious claim. Religion that is pure and undefiled, in other words, religion that's not toxic, do you want to know what characterizes it? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't you love how the New Testament boils things down to the irreducible, irreducible minimum? You're like, I, I just really want to know if I'm in a religion that's pure or if I'm one that's toxic. Well, how does it treat marginalized people? Does it exploit them? Does it use them? Does it abuse them? You know, widows would have been so helpless in the time that this was written, and orphans. They had no husband. They had no help. Many of them had no children. And if anyone needed scribes who were also lawyers to protect their assets and their property, it was them. And do you know what these religious leaders would do? They would, they would pull the wool over these widows' eyes. And many of these widows, maybe they were wealthy. They, their husband left them in good standing but, and, until the scribes came in, right? Oh, we're going to help you protect your property. You know, sign here and here and here and here. And just trust us. We're going to take care of you. Pull the wool right over their eyes and pull their property right out from under them. And they were left absolutely penniless. But whatever penny they had left, left the, that same religion was saying, give, 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 give. We need your money, 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 money. Because they're filled with greed and they're filled with hypocrisy and they're filled with pride, the Bible says. So that's the second thing. They always abuse their authorities. They, I told you last week, they resist criticism. They crave authority. They crave, they want to be acknowledged. Call me Father this, Father that. Call me, if I ever ask you to call me uh, your magisterial holiness, Pastor Tommy, you're in trouble, run, okay? Because I'm telling you right now, toxic religions love titles. They love titles. They love places of honor. They love to be acknowledged. They love for their authority to be put on display. They have seats in the synagogue. They have all these elaborate titles. 
When, they, when they're invited to a wedding or to a political event, they want to sit next to the mayor, you know? Or the president or the king or the prince or whatever. They love that stuff. And, and, and when you contrast that with Jesus, isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't care about any of that stuff. None of it mattered to him. They abused their authority. And I will tell you this again, in all seriousness, if you ever feel like you're trapped in a toxic religion, and I use the word trap deliberately, one of the ways you will know is that you can't leave. They're not going to let you get out of that thing without intimidating you and bullying you and scaring you. It's like the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. You're stuck. You're trapped. And if you leave, it's going to cost you. Man, I'm telling you, that is a toxic environment. And I can say that and at the same time say this. I'm completely and totally against people church hopping all over the place. That's not biblical. That's not healthy for them or for the church. God gave all of us a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is to be used to edify other people. And you can't do that if you're all over the landscape. God calls us to find a church where we can sink our roots down deep and thrive and grow and be a part of God's family. And church shopping and, and treating a church like you do Wendy's. I'm going to go to Wendy's for the... I don't know, the burgers or the chili, and I'm going to go over here at McDonald's and, and for, the, for the nuggets. And this church has good music. I'm going to go there and get my fix. And over here, that's, that's a terrible idea, and it's not biblical. And I'm not advocating that, hopping all over the place. What I am saying is when you're in a church and you believe God is leading you to find another church, it's good to talk to your leaders. But man, if they're, if they're not going to let you out of that, they're not going to get their blessing for some superficial, silly, unbiblical reason, it's one thing if you have conflict that you need to resolve or sins you need to repent of. And I, I could preach a whole sermon on this and I'm, I probably don't need to say any more about it. But there's something really wrong if people are not letting you out of this system. That's, that's wrong. And that's dangerous. And that happens a lot. A lot more than we realize. So last point uh, is toxic religion ignores the marginalized. And I want to be honest with you guys. This, this is one of the hardest passages I've ever taught on. This last part here. I want to read it. Because it comes out of nowhere. Jesus is confronting. He's exposing. He's warning. And then out of nowhere, the whole scene seems to change. And all of a sudden, Jesus is sitting across from the treasury. And it would be in the temple, the court of women. There would be 13, they call them receptacles, where you put your tithe and your offering and your free will offering and your money and your grain and all of that stuff, your offering that you brought to the temple to give to God, now the scene changes and we're there and Jesus is sitting down across from where you put your money in and he's watching. He's watching the scene. And listen to this. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, anytime you see Jesus saying that, pay attention. Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And then the next scene is Jesus warning them that this whole temple is going to crumble to the ground because of abuse. Does it seem a little bit strange to you that this story is here? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Abuse, toxic religion, warning, confrontation, and then this little teaching on giving. 
and then the whole temple's going to fall to the ground and be destroyed. Does that seem odd to you? It does to me. And I believe, you know, if some of you are in real estate and you know the most important thing in real estate is what? The, the top three things in real estate is what? Location, location, location. So when you're trying to interpret a difficult passage like this, you know what the most important thing is? Context, context, context. What is God trying to show us here? Is this woman a hero? In some ways, in, hang on a minute. <laughs> in some ways, I believe she is. She is a hero. But I believe the highlight of this is that she's a victim. She's a victim. What did Jesus say up here in the passage before this? He says, beware, because beware these toxic leaders. They had the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And then Jesus goes over and he sits and he's watching all the people that put in their money and give to this temple. And by the way, just to help you a little bit, the temple was still being built right then at that time. And probably because of the money amount that this widow gave, it would have been one of the free will receptacles and they would have used that money to build the temple, to finish it. The temple that Jesus says in the next passage is going to get raised to the ground because of its abuse. So I, I just think I can't ignore that. As a, as a pastor, a Bible scholar, and a theologian, I cannot ignore the context. Jesus is warning about a toxic religion with abusive leaders who devour widows' houses. And then he goes and sits down and watches a widow put in everything she has and give to this temple. And he does, I think he does commend her sacrificial heart. He does. But at the same time, you look at the Bible and would you say, and you can come talk to me, this is not a gospel issue, okay? There's, there's people who would disagree with me, okay? But would you say that it's the New Testament's teaching that you should give to the church every single penny you have, everything you have to live on? Do you, would, do you think that's what the Bible teaches? Okay, I don't either. I believe the Bible does teach you should give until it hurts. I'm serious. If, if, and, and I want to be a good pastor to you, okay? This church takes, takes good care of me, and I'm thankful for the sacrificial giving of so many people in this church. But this goes beyond Grace Life. I don't care. Even if Grace Life is not your church, the Bible teaches you that it should hurt you a little bit. It, 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 sacrificial giving is a biblical, it's a New Testament teaching. If your giving to the church doesn't affect you in some, I don't know, what you wear or what you buy, I think the Bible teaches that. You should give cheerfully. You should also give sacrificially. And you should give regularly. That's the three. And I'll teach on this sometime. I don't think this is the passage that I'm going to teach you how to tithe and, and give from. Because we'd all go home and we'd die, right? We, we, we couldn't pay our mortgage. We couldn't buy gas. We couldn't bring home. And, and, and in some ways, you've got to commend her faith. And I believe God took care of this widow. But I believe Jesus is commending her sacrificial heart. And at the same time, he is pointing out, look at what this... Look at what this abusive system has done to people like this that need it the most. Everything she had, she put in there. That's pretty sobering to think about. Maybe you guys have seen somebody that would be in a similar circumstance. I think some of the application is so obvious, I probably don't even have to tell you. If you are following some kind of ministry that's telling you, have faith in God and get your credit card out and go ahead and make a significant contribution to this ministry and God will bless you. Friends, 
That's garbage. That's abusive. It's garbage. It's flat out wrong. And don't do it. Don't you do it. I think that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit is highlighting in this passage. And at the same time, I also think that Jesus is contrasting everything that he said before. Because these scribes and Pharisees, they want to be visible, they want to be seen, they want to be known, right? And look at this poor widow. You know, probably the last thing she wanted was to be noticed. That's probably the last thing in the world she would ever want is somebody talking about how much she gave. Because in Greek, the word that's used is the same word we get the word leaf from. It means thin, carved so thin, it's so light, it's barely noticeable. This is the smallest uh, coin in circulation in, in Jerusalem at the time. And she put in two of them. It wouldn't even amount to one penny in our standard. Financially, it's a negligible amount. It's nothing. You wouldn't stop and pick off the ground what this widow put into that receptacle. But Jesus is calling attention to her. And he says, I will tell you this. That woman right there put in more than all of those wealthy people put in. And he is not at all making a dig against wealthy people. He's not, excuse me, he's not. That's not his point at all. He's saying they gave literally out of their abundance. She gave until it hurt. She gave costly. I think Jesus can do two things at the same time. He can commend her sacrificial heart, and he can also say, look what this abusive, oppressive system has done to people like her. And he's contrasting. They want to be noticed. She doesn't want to be noticed. They were wealthy. She was poor. They were men. She was a woman. They gave nothing, and they were greedy. And she gave everything, and she was sacrificial and was trusting God. It's a really sad story to read, honestly. I can't wait to meet this widow in heaven. I mean, her sacrifice is more famous than anybody else's ever, right? Do you want to meet her and be like, wow. And Jesus is calling it. I've read, I've read more about giving at, in the receptacles in the court of women than I ever care to know about. Because I really want to know, what was this? I've got to be there. I'm a movie person. And I have to be able to sit down and see what was going on here. And most people say that when wealthy people would walk through, they would take a, a handful of, of high currency coins and throw it in. Why? So people would hear it and see it. You know? They'd probably dig in their purse. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow, did you hear that? That must have been a big offering, right? They wanted people to see and hear. And here's this little widow, shriveled up probably. Maybe at one point she was wealthy and they took everything from her. I don't know. I don't know her story. And she waddles up and takes, she's probably embarrassed, humiliated, takes the, two, the last two coins she has and throws them in there and clink, clink. And people are like, look, why does she bother? And Jesus says, just stop for a minute, everybody. Come here. Teaching time. You see that, see that widow over there? She put in everything. Everything she had. Pretty amazing when you think about it. And here's something else, and we're going to close with this. When you find victims of spiritual abuse or toxic religion, you know so often, th this is why I believe spiritual abuse, if you want to call it that, is the worst kind of abuse. It's the worst kind because the, the abusers are claiming to represent God and he's nothing like, he's nothing like their character at all. He couldn't get any opposite contrast, right? 
And the one thing that people are, are you, you hear the complaint and, and the repeated, when you meet with them and talk with them and try to help them, they say, I just feel like God, God, didn't, God didn't see me. He didn't know. Where was God? You hear that all the time. Where was God when I was being abused? And do you see the beauty and the power in this? God was right there. He knew. How did, how did Jesus know she was a widow? You've ever thought about it? She wasn't wearing I'm a widow t-shirt, you know? He knew. He knew her pain. He knew her story, and he knows yours. Everybody in this room has a story. You might not even want to talk about it. It may or may not include spiritual abuse, domestic abuse, a history of whatever things that have ensnared you and trapped you, addicted you, enslaved you. Jesus knows every person's story in this room. I'm telling you right now. He knows, he sees, and he's more powerful than your story. And I think one of the things that this passage highlights is that. Jesus saw her and he knew. He knew she was a widow. He knew that she was poor. And listen, he knew that that's all she had. He knew. I've heard, I've heard and read, and maybe you have too, I've heard preachers preach on this, and the only thing they said is Jesus was right there watching her give, and he's watching you too. <laughs> and they you know there's some truth to that. He is. He does know, right? But I don't think that's the point of this. I really, I really don't. You know, Jesus is standing back there when you put your donation in. He's watching, him. He's watching the amount line on your checkbook. Is, is that true? Yes, it is. But is that the point? No, I don't think it is. The point is Jesus knows your pain and he sees you. And friends, that's got to mean something. If, if, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey man, I, I really respect you and, and I think you're amazing and you're the greatest preacher I've ever heard. Well, man, that's, that's, that's cool. That helps. I like that. I mean, I'm all about praise, you know. But, but honestly, at the end of the day, if, I, if, if they don't really know me, that's, that doesn't carry the weight that if my wife, if my wife comes up to me and says, honey, I just want you to know, you are the most amazing human being. <laughs> You're preaching. It's just... Now listen, that carries weight with me. And you know why? Because she knows me. She knows me. She knows all the things that I ain't. Pardon the French. So that means a lot more to me than, you know, no offense, than if you tell me something like that. See, she knows me. Her opinion carries more weight than yours does. And Jesus knew this widow. He sees her. And in a sense, he commends her. Listen, God sees you. He knows you. All the darkest, blackest, your story, your past, he knows you to the bottom and he loves you to the heights anyway. And that's why what I love about this, and we are, we're closing here, what I love about this, I think that's all the... I'm going to end where I ended last week. See, Jesus doesn't just tell people, hey, run for your life. Get out while you can get out. This whole thing's going to crumble to the ground. Every man, woman, and child for themselves. If that's all he said, where would we, where would we be? We'd be hopeless. Wouldn't we? If all Jesus said is, run, get out while you can. But he doesn't. You know what he says? Run. But it's not what you're running from that's going to that's be your identity the rest of your life. Your identity the rest of your life doesn't have to be, I'm a victim of blank. Or I'm a recovering blank. That's not your identity. You know what your identity is? I ran to Jesus. I'm a child of the king. I'm, I belong to a better shepherd. My story didn't end with that. That's why I love the whole concept, Melissa, of, of this restoried. 
Because so many people's story is their identity is that I was a victim. And that does not have to be your identity for the rest of your life. It was there I was, abused, exploited, used, marginalized, ignored, hurt. But then Jesus entered the story, and that changed everything. That's what God wants for you, all of you, every single person in here. And if that hasn't been the, if, if your story hasn't reached that point yet, please talk to us. Talk to us. If, if the message is not clear, we're, we're about to have a time of prayer. In fact, let's, let's pray right now, and we have a prayer team that's going to gather in the back and would love to talk to you. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for the power and the clarity of this passage. I pray if I have said anything that's inaccurate, that's embellished reality, or that has misled people, Lord, I take very serious the, the calling to be a teacher of your word. Even seeing this passage, that theirs will be the greater condemnation, please protect me from ever being the kind of leader that Jesus is exposing here. And please protect this church, Lord. I'm grateful for the amazing elders that you've given us here with Steve and with Joe and uh, just all the ways, Lord, they have rallied around me and helped me and reached out to the people in our church who are hurting and need them. But Lord, we're not beyond this. Nobody in this room is immune to any of these abuses finding us, either being the victim of them or being the perpetrator. And maybe that's what you want us to really focus on, God. If some of us have, have been the cause of pain for others who were marginalized in any shape or form, whether it's racism, Lord, still a, a very real part of what we see in the world and so often sometimes in the church, whether it's abuse of women, whether it's in the church, or whether it was a, some kind of a domestic abuse and they came to the spiritual authorities in the church and they just turned a blind eye to it, Lord, or always just went with the authority and didn't help those that were victims. I just pray, God, today, you would just give us hope, Lord. Help us to just turn to you. You are the shepherd that we always needed. You, you truly give your life for the sheep. You are not a hireling who runs and flees when, when the wolves come. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You lay down your life to expose the abusive leaders of that day, God, and to bring people into your flock. We want to be a member of your flock. We want to be the sheep of your pastor. God, help that to happen. Make that happen today. Maybe there are some in this building and they've tried everything. Lord, maybe they've been a part of an abusive system. Maybe they've been an abuser themselves. Maybe it's like the black mold and the fungus. There's just something not quite right in their heart. They don't know what it is. Pray they would run to you for help and for healing, for deliverance, for salvation, for restoration. May this be the day, God, that it ends for them. And that they, they are restored with Christ at the center of their life. And I ask and pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.